You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, what a, um, what a blessing to us as a church this morning to get to come to see these kids who have worked so, so hard. Um, and then, God, to get to see them sing um, to and about and for you. And so, Father, we just thank you for that, God. It was a great blessing to me personally to get to be led in worship by them and to get to worship with them. So we thank you for that, Father. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for the opportunity to dig into it now um, together as a family. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would move and work uh, mightily around us this morning, that, God, your, your spirit would, would reach our hearts. And so, Father, help us to engage, help our minds to think um, about you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is good to be together. My name is Sean Rowley. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. Uh, I also serve on our preaching team as well as I work with uh, junior and senior high students on Sunday morning. And uh, I'm excited to get to unpack God's word together today. Uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus. And in the past several weeks, we have seen Jesus be uh, baptized. We saw him led out into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, and then we've seen Jesus declare himself and announce himself to, in fact, be the, the Messiah who has now arrived. And uh, we read a story in, in Luke chapter 4. We've looked at this in several weeks back. We looked at it again last week. We're going to look at it again this morning. This is, Jesus is in Nazareth, and he stands up in the synagogue, and he is handed the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads his words. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in fact, this is what we've seen Jesus doing, isn't it? Jesus has begun to call uh, his original disciples who will be with him, who will learn from him, who will serve together with him and then carry on the mission of the gospel. We've seen him healing people. We've seen him uh, rescuing people from sickness and and disease and, and injury and all kinds of things. And, and we've also seen Jesus further um, reveal himself to be God himself. And last week we looked at the story of, of uh, Jesus and as he was teaching and preaching in this house. This large, large crowd had formed both in and outside of the house. And there was a paralyzed man who had some friends that were trying to bring him to see Jesus. Because they thought that maybe Jesus could, fee, um, could heal their friend. And so they get to the house. They can't get in the house, though, because the crowd is so great around and in the house already. So they go up on the roof, dig a hole in the roof, lower this guy down before Jesus. And Jesus does this incredible thing. He actually looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody freaks out. Because only God can forgive sin, right? That's God's job. Look what happened. It says, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I don't know how long this guy had been paralyzed, maybe since birth. And yet God tells him, Jesus tells him, get your mat, get up, and and walk out of here. And that's exactly what this guy does. It's incredible. It's incredible. The, the response of the crowd is incredible because some of them are, are worshiping and praising God, thanking him for this incredible miracle that he's done. 
But for some of the crowd, they begin to get angry um, about Jesus and they begin to hate him even further. And the the group that that was encompassing was the group of the Pharisees. Many of you know the Pharisees were um, kind of the upper echelon of leadership and, and really of society within the Jewish culture. These were the guys that were the most educated. They should know the most about God, about um, their scriptures. They should be the holiest and, and kind of best guys in their groups. But these are the guys that are getting angry about what Jesus is doing. Um, Jesus continues in our day to be a polarizing figure, doesn't he? And so today what I want to look at together is um, how should we approach God? What should our response be? What should our approach to God look like? And I want to do that by looking at the life of the Pharisees and, and how they responded to Jesus. All right, so if you remember with me last week, uh, we, we ended our, our time in the Word looking at the story of Jesus calling this gentleman by the name of Levi, who was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in their day and age. They were seen as traitors to the nation of Israel. And Jesus had called this man to be his disciple, and this, this man followed Jesus then. And he, he, he came to his house and decided to have this great big party. And so he invites all of his buddies, all of his fellow tax collectors, which everybody hated. He invites all of the sinners, so he has this party full of all of the wrong people of their day and age. And that's exactly where Jesus is at. He's at the party, enjoying the party. And so the Pharisee, Pharisees show up, and they begin to question him. They begin to ask him some things, and so that's where we're going to turn now. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 33. We'll work all the way through the end of chapter 5 and through verse 11 in chapter 6. So let's take a look. Verse 33, they said to him, that is the Pharisees, they say to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. The first thing that I see that we should learn from the Pharisees here is that we should be going to God directly and his word with our questions. That's what they're doing. They're coming to Jesus with their questions, but we must come with the right heart and the right motives because the Pharisees are coming not really truly trying to understand who Jesus is. They're coming um, trying to trap him or trying to, 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 to get him in trouble in their mind. The beautiful thing about our God is is that we have a God who not only can be known, he wants to be known. That's why he gave us his holy word. And so our approach to God must start there. That's foundational. It's a good thing to do, to go directly to God, directly to his word, to find out about him, to find out more about who he is. Because if we don't do that, we can search for answers to our questions about who God is in all kinds of places that, frankly, are inappropriate. Because we might look to culture or media. Sometimes we even look to ourselves, don't we? Um, The problem with that is, is that sometimes if we're only looking to ourselves, we begin to think things like, I think God is like X, Y, or Z. And the danger in that is, is if we are thinking things about God just based on our own thoughts about what we think God should be like, we can create in our minds a caricature, in our hearts, a caricature of what God is and not really who God is. It's dangerous. And so my first admonition to us is that we need to be going to God um, honestly and directly to him to seek to understand him. It must be foundational for us. And the Pharisees, they come questioning Jesus about fasting. And for them, Fasting was a very significant issue. Fasting, in fact, is and was a good thing to do. 
But the Pharisees had so elevated the spiritual discipline of fasting to the point that if you didn't fast just like they did, then something was wrong with you. Something was wrong with your devotion to God. Um, They fasted, um, from my understanding, like Mondays and Thursdays twice a week. It wasn't required by the law of Moses, but that's what they did. And so they come to Jesus and his disciples and they're like, why aren't you fasting? Something's wrong with you. You're not as devoted to God. Take a look at what Jesus' response to them is. In verse 34, Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. So Jesus does an incredible thing here. Again, he's revealed himself to be Messiah. He's revealed himself to be God himself. And he's continuing to do that, continuing to reveal himself to be God himself, because he refers to himself as the bridegroom. They would have understood the Pharisees. They would have understood that, that throughout their, their Old Testament law, throughout the scriptures that they had, and in fact, throughout all of the Bible, we know that God refers to himself as a bridegroom. God is the bridegroom, the bride is the nation of Israel, or God is the bridegroom and the bride is the church of Christ. And so what Jesus is doing here is further uh, revealing himself to be God himself, and what he's saying is the time for fasting isn't now. It's not time to fast, it's time to feast, to enjoy Jesus himself. Because fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that's often used to get closer to God, and Jesus is saying, I'm right here. Right? They would have understood what he meant by this marriage imagery that he's giving them. Because for them, in their day, marriage ceremonies um, were a great time of joyous celebration, as they are in ours. But in many ways, they were even bigger than ours. Because what they would do, um, if a man and a woman were going to get married, they would get, um, in our vernacular, we would call them engaged. They would be pledged to be married. This is the state that Jesus' parents on earth, Joseph and Mary, were in when he was born. They were pledged to be married. That means that they would um, officially be, be declared husband and wife, although they had not gotten married yet. And so they wouldn't live together. They wouldn't lie together. Um, but in every other way, they would be like a married couple. Um, and then what would happen after a year of this pledge to be married? One night, the bridegroom with his friends would, would leave his house and go to the bride's house. She was expecting him, so she'd be ready. And they would go to the bride's house and collect the bride, collect her with her friends and her attendants, and the bridegroom and the bride and all of their friends and attendants and family, I think, would would join them and they would parade through the streets of the town in great celebration. And when they got back to the bridegroom's house, there was an incredible party waiting. They had music and song and dance and wine and food, and they feasted. It was an incredible celebration. And there was nothing in that celebration that they would even consider uh, fasting during that celebration. And the reason is, is because they had waited a long time. They had waited a year for this party. There had been all of this buildup and all of this planning. And now the party's here. The time is to celebrate. The time is to feast. The time isn't to fast right? Uh, It's just like Jesus, the Messiah coming. There had been all of this buildup, all of this waiting. Finally, the Messiah is here, and he's right there with them. And Jesus says, the time's not to fast right now. The time is to come and enjoy me, to be with me, to feast on me, to learn from me. Um, Our marriage celebrations are are similar in that that they are a time for celebration. Last fall, um, my friends Matt and Rhonda Patrick, their son, their oldest son, got married. 
And my wife and a bunch of other people kind of got together and helped to, to, to get all the details and, and kind of pull the wedding off and make the wedding happen. And the wedding was a beautiful wedding. It was a great celebration. And afterwards, Matt and Rhonda, um, a couple weeks later, invited us all to come to their house to, to celebrate this wedding, to celebrate what had happened, and also to thank us for, for our parts in helping pull the wedding off. And so that night came, we got to Matt and Rhonda's house, and um, the, the house smells incredible when we walk in, and they had prepared this incredible meal for us. Matt has per- perfected the, the prime rib roast. I mean, this thing was amazing. Um, and, and they had everything there. They had, they had this beautiful piece of meat. They had this incredible horseradish cream, which I didn't even know I liked. I wanted to spoon this stuff up, like just eat it, because it was that good. They had bread with, with garlic and olive oil and a little salt and pepper on it. They had wine. They had Diet Coke flowing. It was wonderful. Um, and we sat down that, that night. We all got around the table and were there ready to, to eat this meal. And Matt stands up and he's thanking us for our parts in being there, thanking us for being there. And we're there with the bride and groom as well. And Matt then says, right before he prays, he says, tonight we're going to feast. Man, there wasn't one person there in that home that had any idea that maybe I'm not going to partake in this meal, right? The time was to feast. It was to celebrate. And so the Pharisees questioning Jesus about fasting is just inappropriate here. Jesus is going to go on and teach them using a couple of parables here. He says in verse 36, he told them this parable, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. What Jesus is saying here in these parables, he's saying you can't take something new and incorporate it with something old. It doesn't work. See, the Pharisees are trying to integrate Jesus into their understanding of God and Messiah and what that would look like. They still don't get it. Verse 6, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, ver, chapter 6, verse 1, there we go, says this, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, the Pharisees previously had attacked Jesus about fasting. Now they're going to attack him about the Sabbath. Um, Because the Sabbath for the Pharisees was one of kind of two things that really separated them from all of the rest of the nations and people groups around them. The first was uh, circumcision. It was an outward sign on their body. The second was the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath they didn't work. That was a commandment from God that they would rest. But the Sabbath was given to them to be a blessing. It was given to them for a purpose so that they could rest from work, so that they could have time um, and freedom to worship God freely and fully. But in the Pharisees' effort to obey God in that, they had come up with every conceivable possible way that might be construed as work and, and written all of those things out so that they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. And so what they're saying is, is that that Jesus and the disciples are working because they're collecting food from the field and eating it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus now, he's, he's going to go teach them. He says, have you never read what David did when his, he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, 
they're missing the whole point of what the Sabbath is all about. These guys are, are trying to, again, incorporate uh, something new into something old, and it's just not working. And so Jesus responds like a good rabbi. He goes to Scripture. He goes to their Scriptures to teach them. Because King David, for these guys, was like the king of kings. Man, they loved this guy. He was their greatest hero. He was their greatest king. All of the little kids wanted King David under roost, if they had those back then. Right? They loved this guy. They held this guy up because he was kind of their great king. He was the prototype of what they thought Messiah should look like. And what Jesus is saying is, you didn't have anything wrong with what King David did back then, even though he ate bread that was only supposed to be for the priests. Why are you having a problem with what, what we're doing? You see, Jesus is not using this as an excuse um, or, 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 or something to explain what he's doing. He's actually using it as a precedent for what he's doing. You see, he makes this statement that the, 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 he is Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark's gospel, it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Again, the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. But the Pharisees had turned it into a burden. So what's the point of all this? What's the point of all these parables and all this teaching of Jesus? The point is this, that we need to be going to God on his terms. Um, we need to be going to God um, the way that he says Because the reality is Jesus can't be contained or integrated into other pre-existing structures. The Pharisees' um, approach to Jesus was that they brought all of their backgrounds, all of their education, all of their preconceived notions, and in fact all of their prejudices to the table when they evaluated about Jesus. And you and I do the same thing too. All of the ways that we grew up, the ways that our parents spoke about Jesus, the ways that our community speaks about Jesus and his church, the, the ways that we've lived, all of the sin that we struggle with, all of our education, everything we filter that into, how do we um, interact with this God of ours? I think one commentator puts it well. He puts it this way. He says, the question is not whether deci- the disciples will, like sewing a new patch on an old garment or refilling an old container, make room for Jesus. Listen, that's not the question at all. The real question is this, it's will they forsake business as usual and join the wedding reception, whether they will become entirely new receptacles for the expanding fermentation of Jesus and the gospel in their lives? That's the question the disciples must answer, and in fact, that's the question we must all answer. Jay talked about this a little bit last week, the cost of following Jesus. It may cost us everything. Because to follow Jesus does mean to to leave behind our life of sin. It does mean coming to repentance. It does mean letting go of those sins that, that, that hold us down and choosing a new way of life. But it's not just our sins and the things that hold us down that sometimes Jesus calls us to. Sometimes Jesus calls us away from good things. You remember the first disciples Jesus called? These guys were fishermen, just probably like their father's and their father's fathers, and their great-grandfathers, and their great-great-grandfathers. Maybe for generations, this has been a family of fishermen. That's what they did. And Jesus comes to these guys, and he says, you're fishers. He says, now you're going to leave that life, and now you're going to become fishers of men. You have an entirely new job now that I'm going to put you to. And so sometimes what Jesus calls us to is to let go of all of, thing, all of the old things of our old life. Not always, but sometimes. Um, so my question for you this morning is, have you accepted Jesus on his terms? 
part of what that means is agreeing that what he says is wrong is wrong. Part of what that means is agreeing that you, in fact, do need a savior. That there's something broken inside of our hearts and lives that that we need rescuing from. Part of that means accepting his sacrifice for you. Because, my friends, if you, like the Pharisees, are still trying to add Jesus to your existing framework, if you, like the Pharisees, are hanging on to old patterns of living and sin and brokenness, then you may be revealing yourself to be outside of the kingdom of God, even if you come to church every week even if you look super spiritual and super holy on the outside. The beautiful thing is this, is that even if at this moment you are outside of the kingdom of God, my friends, this is the God of all people. What that means is that you are not outside of the reach of this great God of ours because he came for all. He wants to make you new. So will you let him? Scripture says here, that he's Lord of the Sabbath. What that means is that he made the Sabbath. The whole Sabbath was his idea. He also made earth. He also made the planets and the galaxies and the stars and the entire universe. And he made you and me. And so what that means is that he is the one that gets to define what is true and good and right and holy. And so we must be willing to submit our lives to him. We must be willing to not only go to him directly, but also to go to him on his terms, whatever he says those are. That's what following Jesus looks like. Our next point is that we need to be going to God in community. Now, I don't have a specific verse that illustrates this, really a collection of verses um, that we've looked at. We've seen all of the communities coming to Jesus in great crowds. We've even seen the Pharisees coming to Jesus in a group, in a crowd. And the reason why we bring this up is this is the way that we discover God the best, is in community. It's why we talk about that around here at Grace all the time. But the the caution that I have for you is that we must be coming to God in the right community. You see, the Pharisees, they came as a group, um, but they didn't understand. They only made things worse. They continued to encourage each other um, to think things and to do things that, that were contrary to God's word and God's scripture. And consequently, they got farther and farther and farther away from God. Um, we need to be coming to God in the right community that isn't contrary to God's word. Because sometimes what happens is, um, and this may happen to you here, maybe it's happened to you from somewhere else. And maybe it's not today, but maybe in um, five years or ten years or someday a preacher, myself, one of the other preachers, one of our pastors or ministry leaders, or maybe even one of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting right next to you right now will see some things in your life that are contrary to God's word. They'll see some things about you that, that don't line up with what the scriptures say, and so they are going to lovingly and graciously, but hopefully honestly and truthfully come alongside of you and point that sin out to you. But sometimes our tendency as people, when that kind of thing happens, is to not respond well. Instead, we get angry, and we hit the eject button, and we go find some other community who will justify our sin with us, who will pat us on the back as we do things that continue to go against what God's word says. That's why, my friends, it's so important to be in the right kind of community as we come to God, because there's all kinds of communities to come to God. We must be in the right kind of community. 
And it must be, um, I think this, this group is wonderful. Coming as a, as a church body is, is great and glorious. And I'm thankful for every one of you. I'm thankful for the influence, the example, for the blessing that you are in my life. But to really get into the kind of community I'm talking about, it must be a smaller kind of community. And for me personally, one of those groups is this group right here. Um, this is the, the preaching team. Uh, the, the, the preaching team uh, is a group of guys we get together every single week and we discuss the scriptures. We talk about um, what it is that, that, that we're doing. We talk about the previous week's uh, sermon. We talk about the, the previous week's service and then we talk about the coming week's sermon. And so whoever's uh, turn it is to preach will then sit and present what they have, what they've prepared and then they get feedback. The reason why we do that is because we want to come to God on his terms. We want to handle God's word with integrity. We want to preach and teach you well and accurately and be faithful to the scriptures. And so that's how we do it and that's why, why we have team in that way. And so this last week, I showed up on Tuesday morning. It was my turn to preach. And so after we had evaluated the previous week, um, I began to present what I believed was a fairly strong outline for where I was going to go this week. Um, and as we sat there and discussed, my, my brothers and Linda Fast was there as well, as we sat there and discussed what was, what was on my heart and mind and where I felt like the scriptures were leading, where I felt like the spirit was leading, it became super apparent really pretty quickly that, that something was wrong. And so they continued to graciously ask me questions. They asked me to clarify what I was saying. They wanted to hear more about what my thought process was. And as we, we continued to go, I continued to get more, um, I guess, just frustrated and bothered, not with them, but just with the fact that, that, that it just wasn't going very well. And it became somewhat apparent quite soon that I was going to have to scrap like 70% of what I had prepared. And they sat with me and graciously and wisely listened to me and it also felt like a sledgehammer to the face <laughs> because I, I had worked really, really hard, you know? I, I really thought I was ready to go for the most part. By God's grace, I had that Tuesday off work so I drove home. I, I uh, wanted to cry all the way home. I prayed to him. I asked him. I said, God, I need your help here. I, I need you to speak into this. I, I honestly don't know what to do now. And so I got home, I got sat down at my kitchen table, and I started studying again. I dove back into the Word of God. I started reading some other resources, and I began to study and began to learn more. See, these scriptures that we're looking at this morning, they're not new to me. I've read them many, many times. They're very familiar. But God began to show some things to me. He began to reveal some things to me inside of that study time. And before I knew it, by the end of that day, seven hours later, I had, uh, I had what I really felt like God wanted me to say to you. And that's what, what we're talking about this morning. And I praise God for those men, for Linda, um, for this group of people that sat with me that week. That had um, enough love for me, enough love for God and his word to speak truth to me even though they knew that it was hurting me. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What that means is that if you are in the right community, if you are seeking God with the right kind of community, that is a, a community that loves God, that serves him, that wants to worship him, that wants to bring their lives in conformity to his word, not the other way around. If they speak things to you, even if they feel like wounds, you can trust them because they love you and they want what's good for you. And on the other hand, if you find yourselves in a community 
where you find people that are justifying, that are encouraging you to do things that you know are directly contrary to God's word, those people aren't your friends at all. The Bible calls those people your enemies. We need to be seeking God um, in the right kind of community. The last thing is this. We need to be going to God just as we are, okay? We don't need to stay as we are, but we need to start by going to God just as we are. The next uh, story here illustrates that in verse 6. On another Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do um, to Jesus. We should be going to God just as we are. This gentleman that was in the crowd that day had this deformed hand. We like to hide our imperfections, don't we? It's one of the reasons why I'm preaching with a shirt on today so you don't get to experience this dad bod that I've been working so hard on. But we do like to hide our imperfections. We don't like people to see that stuff about us. And this guy had this shriveled hand that in his culture probably brought great shame to him. It was probably something he didn't love the fact about him. It may have even been um, difficult for him to provide a living for his family because of this shriveled hand. And so I expect this guy probably was there at the meeting and maybe even was covering up his shriveled hand. We don't know that for sure, but maybe he was. I just imagine how he's feeling and Jesus calls him out. Jesus says, stand up in front of everybody. I don't see him bolting up. I see him kind of, okay, and, and, and getting up in front of the group. And then Jesus commands him. He says, stretch out your hand. And I can only imagine what's going through this man's head because I think sticking out his shriveled hand was the last thing that this guy wanted to do. But it was the first thing that he must do if he wanted to be healed. And so he sticks this hand out. The incredible thing to me, too, is that this is going to cost Jesus something. Jesus decides to, and he wants to heal this man, knowing it's going to cost him something. Knowing that when he heals this guy, he is going to provide the Pharisees with more ammunition to come against him. Right? Jesus knows that at the end of his time here on earth comes a horrible, horrible, awful death on a Roman cross. And he knows And when he heals this guy, it's going to give them more ammunition to bring that against him and to him. But Jesus does it anyway, because that's the kind of God that we serve. He's willing to give up everything for you and for me. And he heals this guy, and this guy's delighted, and the Pharisees are inside it with rage. You see, it's not just about our response to God, but it's also about how um, he should come to us, or he does come to us. We see it all throughout this story. We see Jesus coming to earth, giving up everything, giving up perfect communion, perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, and he leaves all of that to come to earth in the most unlikely of ways, in the most unlikely of places. 
And then uh, he, he begins to, to do his ministry and we see that this God who is altogether good and holy and righteous, he comes to us who are altogether sinful and wicked and what the Bible calls are his enemies. But because he's the God of all people and the invitation is there, I even think the invitation is to the Pharisees. Come to me. Show me your imperfections. I want to heal you. Show me where your theology's gotten messed up. I want to help correct you. He's teaching them all of the time. But they're just missing it. The invitation is there to this gentleman with the shriveled hand. Come to me. Stick out your hand. I want to heal you. And the invitation is also to you and to me. Jesus comes to us and he says, he says show me your sin. He says, show me your propensity to gossip. He says, show me how you have a short fuse and you lose your temper and you have a terrible anger problem all the time. He says, show me your porn addiction. He says, show me your pride and your selfishness because I want to free you from those things. I don't want you to have to stay bound up, captive to sin. That's what he talked about. He's the Messiah. He comes to to set the prisoners free. Some of you also need to hear this this morning because some of you, like this man with the shriveled hand who had done nothing to to earn the shriveled hand, some of you have experienced very significant pain and loss and trauma in your lives and you're hurting. And it's through no fault of your own, but you are hurting. Man, some of you need to hear that God is calling you too to hold out your pain to him, to hold out your frustrations to be honest with him. Maybe even you're, you're doubting his goodness right now because the pain is so significant. He wants to know about that too. He says, will you hold out your insecurities and your pains and your worries and your doubts and your fears because I also want to set you free of those. I want to release you of those things. He wants to forgive you of sin. He wants to heal you of brokenness and brokenheartedness. He wants to adopt you and love you and in fact save you. It's a great God that we have. So my question for you this morning is this. Will you stretch out your imperfect hand to this great God of ours? Whatever that symbolizes for you, will you stretch that hand out to God and seek his healing there? Because he wants to. This is a God who is inviting you to let go of your old self, to let go of your old ways and join him at the wedding celebration, at a feast. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.